You're listening to a live recorded teaching of the Sunday Gathering at Proclamation Church in Nashville, Tennessee. We hope that this teaching reminds you of the love that Jesus has for you. To find out more about Proclamation Church or to support the mission and vision of our ministry, visit us at proclamationtn.com. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey... He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I return. So take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can be seated. Before uh, we begin, uh, need to acknowledge uh, the elephant in the room. That may not be an elephant to you guys, uh, but I just wanted to uh, show honor where honor is due. Uh, today is our lovely, lovely, lovely uh, Abby Vargas's birthday. Give it up for Abby. She doesn't like this attention. So can we do all? Can we all do me a favor, real quick? Let's just look at her, real quick. <laughs> and let's say happy birthday, Abby. <laughs> and you say, Abby. <laughs> Abby says thank you. Okay, I'll take I'll take the thunder off of off of Abby. She will punch me later on. Um, but uh, also something really cool, really special. Uh, our very own uh, Dylan Melgar. And Iris, they got engaged yesterday. Can I say, hey, we're excited for that. Any other cool things happening in the life of the body that we can rejoice in? Just those things? Okay, cool, cool. I'm, we're all here. That's something to rejoice in. Praise God, right? Put it, give it up for yourselves, right? Amen. Listen, maybe you don't want to give up for yourselves. Okay. Um, well, we've been in this series uh, called Because of Christ. We have the opportunity to talk about because of Christ, our identities, who we are, Right? Uh, We spent time talking about uh, being a worshiper. We talked about being a family member, and today we have the opportunity of being a steward. 
Uh, before we jump into that, many of you guys know that I uh, am a big fan of sneakers, right? Love, love a good shoe. Uh, you guys are looking at my feet and like, man, you got heat on right now. I do. I'm glad that you acknowledge that. Uh, but here's the thing. Before there were, I ever owned any Jordans, uh, before there were any Air Maxes in my possession, any of those things, uh, the very shoe that, the very first shoe that I bought with my own money uh, were Nike Hirachis. As a matter of fact, this was the, the shoe that I bought with my own money, right? Now, you look at that, and you're like, like that's kind of ugly. No one asked for your opinion, okay? <laughs> right? This is a pretty shoe. Now, here's the thing. This is the second version of the actual Hirachi, okay? The, the first Hirachis came out in 1991, right? Uh, and the thing that makes this shoe so significant was the fact that this was the first shoe that Nike ever put out that did not have its iconic swoosh on it. Okay, now you're like, oh, that's pretty cool, right? The other dope thing about the shoe was that it was patented after, ready for this? So, so Tinker Hatfield, he was uh, big into water skiing and things like that, and he was wearing his water skis one day uh, and realized that they fit so snug, and he was like, oh, I'm going to make a shoe that matches this. And he made the Hirachi, right? There was a slogan that was out when they first came out in 1991 that asked the question, have you hugged your feet today? because that's what they do. They're snug, they hug your feet, they're awesome. This was my shoe, okay? Now here's the thing about this shoe. When I had it, you couldn't tell me nothing, right? Uh, this is funny because, you know, I, I tell you guys that I practice shoewardship. I know some of you guys don't like when I say that, but I do, right? I take care of the things that are mine. Well, this particular shoe that I had, my buddy uh, at the time asked if he could borrow them. And I was like, I said, you know what? Yeah, I could, you guys already know this direction, right? I was like, I said, you know what? I love you. I'm a very generous person. Yes, you can borrow my shoe, right? So he had on this outfit that was mostly all black, and he wanted to wear black shoes. Uh, and I said, as long as I get them back, okay? So he wore said shoe. I didn't see them again for about, about four weeks, a month or so, okay? And finally, I hit him up. I saw him at church one day, and I was like, I said, yo, where are my shoes? I need, I need my shoe back, you know? And he was like, he said, hey, I got you. You like that, right, Benji? That's a good shoe. Benji knows the quality of good stuff. Thank you, Benji. Benjamin. He goes by Benjamin now. Um, and so he, uh, I hit him up. I said, yo, I need my shoe back. He's like, okay, I'll bring it back. Uh, now, again, when he brought it back, I take care of my stuff. They did not come back the way that I handed it to them, uh, to him, okay? In fact, uh, that, you see that, that Velcro strap, it had Nike on it. Uh, that Velcro strap was not Velcroing anymore, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't tight anymore, right? It was all, all worn out. Uh, the, the toe of the shoe, where it's like all nice and black and uh, mine had suede on it, was suede-less, right? It's just completely ripped off, right? It was all like faded gray all of a sudden. And I'm like, bro, what did you do, right? And he responded to me. He's like, he said, yo, I wore them. I said, I, I know you did. How? My man went and played basketball in these shoes, okay? Now, for those who are groaning, you understand that there's a difference. Now, you look at this, and it's like, oh, well, this is a basketball shoe, right? There's a difference between a basketball shoe and a basketball shoe. You know what I'm saying, right? This, in my mind, it was like it was a basketball shoe. He treated it like it was a basketball shoe. He played on the blacktop in them things. Yes! Guys, I was sad. My heart was broken because these were my babies, right? And he literally had the audacity to say, Derek, they're just shoes. No, they're not, sir. No, they're not. Guys, I am convinced that many of us treat the things of God just like my friend treated my shoes. It's just a thing to us. 
Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> specifically when it comes to the resources that he's given us, specifically our time, talent, treasure, the things that he's entrusted to us, oftentimes we just treat it as, eh, it's just a thing. It's just a shoe. And we treat it any way that we want to. As we look at this psalm today, Matthew 25, what we see is that God is actually calling us into treating the things that he has bestowed to us with proper stewardship. That we are called to treat it in such a way that's going to bring glory and honor to him. Okay? So here's the thing. If you are a steward, if that's true, are you wasting what's been given to you? That's the question I want you to ask yourselves today. What's happening here in Matthew 25? Well, to kind of give you some context here, Jesus uh, is telling a parable, and he's talking about the, the last days. Now, his, his, uh, conver his conversation with the disciples at the time, his, his closest buddies, he's having a conversation with them, and they're like, yo, what are the, when's the end times coming? When, when is that happening? And Jesus, in you know, classic Jesus form, doesn't answer their question the way that they want it to be answered. He doesn't talk about the when of when the end times are going to be. He talks about what, what it's going to look like. And essentially what he's saying is like, yo, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of God. And this is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to take place. Okay? And so he's essentially what he's getting at in all of Matthew 25 is essentially, yo, we don't know when it's going to happen, but you need to live your life as if it's going to happen tomorrow. It can happen at, at any point. And so he talks about this in verse 14. That's what he says, for it, this is the kingdom of heaven. This coming kingdom is just like a man about to go on a journey. Okay? Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. So the it there is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Well, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is the kingdom of heaven? Up to this point, Jesus is given a lot of parables, which essentially is an is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning, okay? Essentially giving out these, these principles and these tools that we would understand in, in proper context and bringing about this heavenly understanding, heavenly, uh, heavenly interpretation behind it, these spiritual concepts, okay? So essentially when we hear or talk about, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, we need to understand that the kingdom of heaven is characterized by life with God under the rule of Jesus, okay? It's the life, it's life with God under the rule of Jesus, so he says in verse 14, for this, this kingdom will be like a man going on a journey. Jesus helping his friends understand that it's going to be like when, what, what it's going to be like when he comes back to judge the living and the dead. This is what he's getting at here, okay? That every person on the planet has to give an account to how they live their lives based off the things that Jesus has given to them, Okay? So verses 14 and 15 kind of set the scene for us. Let's read it again. It says, For it, this kingdom of heaven, is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to one two, to one, to another one, one talent. Depending on each one's ability, then he went on a journey. Okay? What do we need to understand that's happening here? It's, it's actually very simple to understand. Okay? There's a master. There's three servants. The master represents Jesus. Okay? The servants represent us. Very simple to understand, right? We're all tracking here, okay? Now, this journey, if, if, if Jesus is the master, what's this journey? This journey is Jesus ascending into heaven, sitting right now at the right hand of God. We don't know when he's coming back, okay? We have no idea when he's coming back. It's a, as, as, as far as where we are right now, it's about 2,000 years plus since Jesus left, okay? I think we can all agree that's a very long journey. We don't know when he's coming back here. And so the servants, again, that's Jesus. The servants represent us. Now, this master gives three different servants three different amounts of talents. 
Now, when we hear the term talent, uh, a lot of commentaries, they're kind of theologians, they're kind of unsure on the measure of what a talent is. It could represent either gold or silver or copper. They have, you know, some, some hard, some misunderstanding on what this is, but they all come to an agreement that a talent is at least a 20 years worth salary, okay? It's a lot of money. Essentially, they said it could be anything worth uh, $500,000 all the way to $1.5 million, okay? So what we're seeing here, if that's the case, that if Jesus is the master, this master has deep pockets, okay? He got mad money. And with all that money, he is entrusting servants, us, with these, with these dollars. And essentially he's saying, hey, oh, I'm giving you X amount, I'm giving you X amount, and I'm giving you X amount. And that's what's taking place here, okay? So with all of that being said, with all of that context here, we need to kind of get down to this master entrusting this money to his servants, Okay? and his, expect, his expectation for us to steward it, which begs the first question. Write this down. What has Jesus given to you? Okay? What has Jesus given to you? Now, that is a question. You can take that as rhetorical, but I want us to have class participation today. Okay? So when I ask you the question, what has Jesus given to you, I want you to create a picture in your mind right now of what you believe Jesus has given to you. Okay? Write it down, put it on your phone, whatever the case may be. I want you to have a picture of what Jesus has given to you, okay? You got it? Awesome. I'm curious to know what your answer is. Class participation, I'm not kidding. I want to know what some of you guys said. Your family. What are the things? Say that again. Fiance, come on, praise God. Oh, you guys are, let's go. What are some other things? Come on, stop playing with me. We're going to be here all day. <laughs> Your home, kids, what else? Money. Health, come on, somebody. Spiritual gifts. Ooh, that's good. I like that. Is that again? Work. Yes, work. Yes. Recovery, come on. I love this. Can, can, I give, can I go ahead and get, let you in on a little secret? You, you trying to preach for me, Haley? Because I'll let you do it. Everything, everything we have has been given to us by God. It's been given to us by Jesus. And here's the thing. Oftentimes we don't see that as gifts that God has given us because we feel like we've done or we've earned or we've attained ourselves. But we need to come to this understanding, family, that literally everything that we have, everything that you guys mentioned, which, thank you for your participation, all of those things has been given to you by Jesus. Everything. Everything is a gift from God. Everything. How do we know that? Psalm 24, verse 1 is extremely clarifying. What does it say? The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Question, do you live in the world? Yes. Then guess what? You yourself, you belong to God. Everything. That's, so two things with that. Number one, that should give us a sense of comfort, right? That, that right now, in whatever space, whatever thing that you brought in here, yo, God didn't, that didn't take God by surprise. You belong to him. His, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he's watching me, right? He is watching you. He's caring for you. He is aware of what's going on. Second, everything that you have, belongs to the Lord. What that means is your body belongs to Jesus. Your mind, your eyes, your ears, your hands, your legs, everything all belong to Jesus. Take it a step further. Every cent of your portfolio belongs to Jesus. 
your house belongs to Jesus. If you got a second or third house, that house belongs to Jesus. If one of those houses are at the beach, let me borrow it for a weekend. Amen? Right? But you let me borrow it because you realize it belongs to Jesus. Amen? Right? Your cars belong to Jesus. Your abilities belong to Jesus. Your children belong to Jesus. The job that you have belongs to Jesus. Every opportunity that will ever come your way, every single one of it, all belongs to Jesus, including the breath in your lungs that we just sang. Amen? Everything belongs to Jesus. It's all been entrusted to you by Jesus. So just like the servants in the story where the master gave differing amounts to different people, guess what? You've got some things in your life that other people don't have, and guess what? There are things in, their, in other people's lives that are not in your life that you don't have. And that's just how it goes. And we've been all called to steward those things. But let's be clear. Every single one of us, everything that we have, it all has come from Jesus. He's the master in the story. We're the servants in the story. Then all aspects of our lives are those talents. Does that make sense? Here's what I want everyone to do, okay? Again, class participation. I want you to hold out a fist, too, if, you're free, if the other hand is free, okay? I want you to hold it out right now, right? What are you holding on to? What are you white-knuckling right now that you are nervous to give over to Jesus? Because somehow you believe that it belongs to you. That you think that you earned it or you deserve it. What are you nervous for Jesus to take over in your life? That's the question I want you to ask yourselves. Okay, because here's the thing, don't let go just yet. Don't let go just yet. We're still, we all white knuckling. You have an opportunity to be open-handed with that thing. You can be open-handed now. Open up them hands. Be free. Be free. <laughs> you have an opportunity to be open-handed and says, Lord, this is yours. It was already yours to begin with. I, I, I don't have to, this, this thing doesn't have to rule and reign in my life. Because you're supposed to be ruling and reigning. You're the one that's in control. Do we live our lives proclaiming that truth? Here's the thing that every single one of us needs to learn to live with. We have to live with this mentality of claiming nothing but stewarding everything. I, I, don't, I don't need to claim, I should not have to claim everything, but I do have an opportunity to steward everything. And that's difficult for many of us. It's very difficult. It's very difficult when I think about my kids. Yo, those are my babies. Those are my kids. I want what's best for them. But I have an opportunity to remember, no, I'm called to steward them in such a way that I'm giving them back to God. In the moments of my job, same thing. Yo, I want to be really good at what I do, right? I, I, I want to I perfect art and all this other stuff. No, no, no. This is an opportunity for me to give back to the Lord. I can steward this in such a way to bring glory and honor to him. What is that thing that you are claiming that he is saying, no, 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 that's not your job to do. You are called to steward this thing for my glory. What's that thing, family? Because here's the thing, whatever that is, that brings me to my next question. How are you caring for what belongs to Jesus? How are you caring for the thing that he's given you that belongs to him? If we just established that everything belonged to Jesus, which we all did, what are we doing with what belongs to Jesus? Remember this, in this story, Jesus is the master, we're the servants. All aspects of our lives are the talents, okay? So watch how the story continues. At the end of verse 15, it says, Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. That word, but there in verse 18, it's a contrast here. What we see is a comparison between the two servants beforehand versus the last one, 
okay? The one with the one talent. So we should look at these two individuals, or th these three individuals, and begin to kind of put some things together, ask some questions. If we are called to look, as our look at our lives as these servants with different gifts and all these different talents, then we are called to do something with that, okay? What did the servant with the five talents do? The word is really important here. It says immediately, when he came to a realization that this thing has been given to him by his master, it says immediately he got after it. Immediately he did this work. Why? We can conclude that his aim was to please his master. There was no time to waste, so I got to get after it here. We can conclude then that the person with the two talents did the same thing. Now, Jesus doesn't give us all the details in the story about how they doubled their money and things like that. We don't know if they went to Vegas and, you know, put it down big on black or anything like that. It doesn't say anything like that. But what we do know is that we can assume because the master was on a very long journey that it took them some time to do the things that they needed to do. They were faithful in that work, okay? From the time that the master left to the time that they returned, that he returned, they leveraged everything that they had for the sake of the master. All their time, all their talents, all their attention went to pleasing the master. They wanted to maximize the master's resources. Yo, you've given me this thing. I want to make this better for you. But that wasn't the servant's goal who only had one talent, which was, by the way, still potentially a million dollars. Let that sink in. It was a significant amount, but his desire was not to please his master. That wasn't the aim of his life. He didn't do anything to maximize the potential of his master's resources. And here's what's so interesting about this part of the story. He's still called a servant. He's still called a servant. But what's so interesting about this is that even though he was considered a servant, he wasn't serving his master. The title didn't match his actions. Loved one, does that describe you today? Do we, fall, do we find ourselves saying, hey, we're followers of Jesus, we're Christians, but not living for Christ? Process this with me, okay? Because of Christ, your identity has changed, but is your life marked by change, or is it not? Maybe you, maybe you believe theologically that, that everything that you have belongs to Jesus, right? I think we've come to that conclusion, but practically, we're living like all these things actually do belong to us, to do with it whatever we want to do. So if that's the case, just evaluate a little bit. Do you throw your money away at every form of luxury and comfort like it's your money? Do you not give to the church because you aren't convinced the church will steward your money well? Do you spend hours each week on Netflix or social media just binge watching or scrolling hour after hour after hour like it's your time? Are you a workaholic trying to prove something or earn respect or become somebody for someone else's benefit like it's your career? Do you look at things that you shouldn't be looking at as if there are your eyes and not those that eyes that belong to the Lord? Guys, it's good for us to realize that there are specific plans that the Lord has for the things that we have, for the things that we do with our time, talent, and treasure. If that's true, are you living like it's yours or if it's his? It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. I like how Paul shared with the church at Corinth along these lines. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Is that your aim, family? He's saying, Paul is saying, yo, this is the target. This is how we're called to live. Everything we have is leveraged for that purpose. The aim of our lives is to please God. 
So if that's the case, how can we be people who claim nothing and steward everything then? Well, one of the best things we can do is become people who begin to ask Jesus what he wants us to do with what belongs to him. I think that's practical application for all of us. Just, just imagine what our lives would actually look like if we begin to think about everything that we have truly belonging to Jesus and asking him what he wants to do with the things that belong to him. Could you imagine what, what Woodbine and Creve Hall and Antioch and Nolensville and Mount Juliet and Bellevue and all the other neighborhoods that are represented here in this, in this room right now? You know where you live, right? Could you imagine what those places truly look like if we really operated in a life of saying, Jesus, have your way. You move in and through me. Like, this job that you've given me, yo, this is for your glory, this job that you've given me, this is for your glory. If, if, if every single one of us, almost 300 people come to our church every single weekend, if all 300 people were truly asking that, could you imagine what Nashville would look like for us to leverage our lives for the sake of God's glory and not our own? Imagine you're looking at a screen with questionable content and then you ask, is this what you want your eyes to be looking at right now, Jesus? You're sitting at work, it's past five o'clock, it's getting closer to 5.45 and 6 and 6.30, and you have an opportunity to go home and to be with your family and to rest. If you say, okay, Lord, is this what you want me to be doing with my time that you've given? Is this what you want? Imagine asking, how do you want your money spent? How do you want me to conduct myself in this meeting? How do you want me to care for my body? How do you want me to, to use my mouth in such a way where I can encourage others? How do you want me to sharpen my mind today? Guys, as we ask Jesus these questions, just imagine what would happen if the Spirit of God inside of us started to give us everything we needed to accomplish everything that Christ is calling us to do. That'd be phenomenal. You see, one of the beautiful realities of the gospel is that, yes, Jesus died, he lived, he died, and he rose again. He's sitting now at the right hand of the Father, but as he was going, he says, yo, I'm giving you a gift. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one that's empowering us to do the things that he's calling us to do. I love that because so often we want to operate in our own strength and ability. But, yo, if we're continuing to tap into our own strength and our own ability and not in the things that the Lord has given us, especially in the power of the Holy Spirit family, we're missing the mark. This is what I'm driving at here right now because I don't want there to be any confusion whatsoever. I'm trying to call us into rejecting cultural Christianity and to live in biblical Christianity. Where, where I'm not just out here trying to do and live for myself because I've been promised the quote, good life. Because here's the thing, when I'm truly asking Jesus to have his way in my life, that gets really extremely uncomfortable for many of us. And the reason why that's uncomfortable for many of us is because we have a poor understanding of Jesus and who he is, and we've been sold this Christianity that's promoting the American dream. And that's not what we're called to live in. If we're going to follow Jesus, we should let Jesus speak into what it looks like to actually follow Jesus, family. I, I love, so Proclamation Church was birthed out of this idea of, yo, here I am, Lord, send me, Right? Almost 60 people moved from different places in the southeast to come help plant Proclamation Church. That's awesome. I love that, right? I, I've shared this with you guys before that um, when we were going through uh, Malachi, I talked about tithing, right? And this ain't a, a tithing uh, sermon, but if the application calls for it, don't ignore the spirit, amen? 
But I shared this before. Although many churches only see 10 to 25% of their members tithing, here at Proclamation Church, 83% of our members tithe. That's awesome. And even though the average giving per person is $17 per person, our average giving per person is over $60 a week. That's almost four times the national average. That's awesome. Listen, we can celebrate these things. I love that. Let's celebrate that our church started with this passion. Yo, here I am, Lord, send me. We can celebrate like, yo, we're giving. We can celebrate like, yo, look at all the people serving. But can we be honest? Let's not get comfortable that we can celebrate, but man, why are we not asking God for more? Why are we not crying out to him to see more people come to an understanding of Jesus, to have more people live with the, this, this ambition of, of, of I'm trying to make Jesus known in the things that, that I say and the things that I do? Why are we not asking for more? I think, families, because we've got grown comfortable. Yo, I like what we got going on here. This is a good thing. This is probably one of the best churches I've ever been in. And I'm not saying that just because I'm the pastor and I get the chance to lead it. Y'all are dope. Why not more? Let's ask God to, to do these things in such a way to bring glory and honor to his name. Where is God calling us to do more, to give more, to be obedient more? Where is God calling us to take a step of faith with all the things that he's given us in such a way to proclaim his name so that people come to an understanding of who he is for their own selves? I think all of it comes when we truly live this way, it's because we understand what's been given to us through Jesus. When we truly recognize the gospel and it's, impacts in our own lives. We're like, yo, yeah, I can give more. I can say more. I can do more. Why? Because the gospel produces generosity. Listen, when we comprehend the generosity of the gospel, it pushes us to be generous. Plain and simple. Each of us has the opportunity when we reflect on everything that Jesus has done for us, what he's given to us to maximize our potential for the master's resources, for the sake of the master's profit. Yo, we move forward in faith. We move forward without, with claiming nothing. We are stewarding everything. So what are you doing with what belongs to Jesus? That's the second question. Final question I want us to ask from this parable is this. What do you want Jesus to say to you? What do you want Jesus to say to you? Look at how this parable goes on. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Why? Because Jesus is going to come back, and every single one of us will one day have to give an account to Jesus. Okay? It goes on. Verse 20. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. This is a picture. This is a glimpse of what eternity with God in heaven is going to look like. Joy. Okay? Verse 22. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See? I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. These servants have devoted their entire lives to the one thing, pleasing their master. They've lived their life for the master. So what did they hear when they gave an account for their lives? It was these beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Every single one of us desires to hear that those words spoken over us. You see, one of the best things we can do right now is realize what Jesus celebrates. It's faithfulness. He, he doesn't say, 
well done, good and beautiful servant. Didn't say well done, good and busy servant. Well done, good and well dressed servant. Well done, good and you tied the lot servant. Well done, good and you read the Bible back to back and forth over and over and over again, servant. What does he say? No, faithful servant. Do those things come with being a faithful servant? Yes. The last two, not being pretty or well-dressed. I digress, but you get what I'm saying, right? Do those things come from faithfulness? Yes. They, they come with being faithful for sure. But listen, what we need to realize is that Jesus wants our faithfulness, family. That's what he wants. Everything you are and everything you have has been given to you and trusted to you to make much of him. Claim nothing, steward everything, be faithful. How? Number one, by the power of the Spirit of God. We talked about that. That's at work in you. I want you to notice that in this story, the master gave the same commendation to both the person with five talents and the person with two talents. Did you notice that? You notice that? I love that. Do you know what that means? Here's what it means. Don't miss it. It means it doesn't matter how much you've been given as long as you've been faithful with what's been given to you. I think it's easy for us to play the comparison game, right? We see people who are like really good at memorizing scripture and we're like, yo, I wanna be like that person. And I'm not saying that's nothing great to aspire to, but if, you, if you're chasing after something versus trying to be the person that God has wired you to be, man, you're missing out on an opportunity to be faithful. We look at people with, with deeper pockets and trust me, it'd be nice to have deeper pockets, right? But if that, that's not the end goal. The end goal is to be faithful to what God has called you to do. What is that thing that you are striving after that God has not called you in? That's not the season that he has you in. Because here's the thing that we need to understand. We need to embrace the life that God has entrusted us with and simply be the steward there. Because here's the thing, ready? God is not interested in commending a pretend version of you. He wants to commend you for being you. You for being faithful. You for being obedient to what he's called you to do in that season. I, I, can't, I can't personally be any other pastor. I can't be any other preacher. So I'm going to come up here and I'm going to use words like, words like dope. I'm going to wear my Jordans and I'm just going to be me. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. I'm trying to be faithful to who God has called me to be. I can't be anybody else. And guess what? If he decides to make me a little bit different, then that's what y'all going to get in the future. <laughs> Micah's like, okay. <laughs> I won't change for you, Micah. I told Micah yesterday, when I get older, I'm going to wear suits because that's going to be my thing. <laughs> Just letting you guys know now, in about 15 years, be swagged out Derek up here, okay? <laughs> the suits fitted suits. <laughs> What has God given to you that you have an opportunity to be a steward of right now, to be faithful in right now? So the question again is, what do you want to hear when you meet Jesus? The first option that we see with the first two servants is well done, good and faithful servant. But the truth of the matter is, based off the story, not everyone's gonna hear those words. Look at how the parable goes on, verse 24. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. 
If you know that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should, be, you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And I would have received my money back with interest when I return. This is really clarifying here, okay? Because it shows us that this servant didn't truly know and understand his master. He says he thought his master was a hard man. What this means is he's calling into to question the character of his master. He says, I know you to be a harsh person. What we've learned from this parable is that the master had every intention of rewarding this servant who had less in the same way that he did with the other two. It makes sense. He was going to receive the same reward and the same commendation because he's a generous master. But this servant had a misunderstanding of the character of his master. It shows that this servant didn't understand his master's values. It shows that he didn't desire what his master desired. It shows that this servant didn't actually understand this master at all. He didn't understand the purpose that this master had for his life. His title was that he was a servant. Yes, he will, yet he was a servant who wasn't serving his master. He was serving himself. He was living for himself. He was living to protect himself. That's why he hid his master's assets. So let's just be clear here. This is a picture of a guy who really did not know his master, and he wasn't truly living for his master at all. And the result, verse 28. Take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's the consequence of, for a servant who doesn't truly know the master, who isn't truly living for the master? The result we see from the text is complete rejection by the master. He is banished from the master's presence. This is what the parable is teaching here in this moment. According to this parable, instead of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, some people will stand before Jesus and hear, you wicked and evil servant, lazy. The result of their lives they have lived will be eternal separation from God. Why? Because they wasted their lives claiming instead of stewarding. Now, it's moments like this where passages like this can be very uncomfortable. I, trust me, I'm up here right now and I can just feel the tension in the room. It's very uncomfortable because we read things like this and we're kind of like, yo, that's not really gracious. He, he banished from the master's presence because of how he lived? That seems really anti-gospel. It can, ve- can feel a little bit void of grace. It can feel like the emphasis is on salvation coming from something that we do versus something that's been given to us. Let's acknowledge the elephant in the room, okay? Don't miss what I'm trying to tell you right now. Here's what we need to understand. The lives that we live don't save us. I want to make sure we all agree to this. The lives that we live do not save us, okay? Here's what I'm saying. You cannot earn your way into heaven. Not by works of righteousness, which you've done, but according to what? His mercy, he saved us. Nothing that we can do can save us. The lives we live don't save us. However, the lives we live do make visible either the invisible faith that saves us or the invisible unbelief that condemns us. I will. The lives we live don't save us, but the lives that we live do make visible either the invisible faith that saves us or the invisible unbelief that condemns us. I got you, mama. This is what it is, family. Do you see the difference with the two? 
It's not our lives that saves us. It's not the lives we live, but the lives we live do make something visible. Every single one of us should be able to see that there is a difference in our lives based on everything that Jesus has done for us. When our hearts are captured by his grace and his mercy and his love for us, there is an overflow that that's how we live our lives. Gracious and generous and loving and kind because of everything that Jesus has done for us. So let me say this. If you're nervous right now because you're a Christian not living for Christ, your tendency and your nervousness might be to think that the application of this message is to simply leave and just go and do. Get busy. Make sure you're right with God. But that is not the application of this parable. Do you hear me? The application of the story is not go and do. The application of the story is to see the one who's already done the work for you. Jesus has done everything necessary for us already. Do we believe that to be true? Listen, there's this picture. Let's post this picture here real quick. So it's a 17th century uh, art here. The guy's name is like Matthias something another, okay? Because he's German and I can't say it, all right? Um, but he, he created this, and this is based off Matthew 25, the parable that we just, just looked at. Do you notice that you have the, the, the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant? Where are their eyes right now? They're focused on their master, yeah? Yes, were you looking at the same picture? Okay, class participation family. Where do we see the third guy? Off on his own, looking down on the ground, digging in that hole. His eyes aren't on the master at all, right? Do we see that? Okay, awesome. Listen, sometimes the best way to know what your view of Jesus is is by looking at your response of Jesus. Family, where are you looking at? Are your eyes on the Savior? The servant with the poor response to the master had an incorrect view of the master. So if you're looking at your response to Jesus, you're not pleased with your response to Jesus, the issue very well may be your view of Jesus. It's very possible that you might have the wrong view of him. It might be that you have taken your eyes off of who he is and what he actually has come to do for us. A good question to ask, to diagnose for yourself this, this morning is this, who do you know the master to be? Do you know him to be the king of the kingdom? Do you know Jesus to be the love of, that you need? This is the parable about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. He is the one who left heaven. He's the one who stepped in as the person of Jesus while he came and deserved to be worshiped. He became a servant for you and I. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. He came to accomplish that will. What was that will? To turn enemies of God to friends of God. To, to those who, were, who had their back turned to God to be able to focus now on, on God and who he is because of everything that Christ has done. He has bridged the gap so that we can be in right relationship with God the Father. That was the will of God, and that's what Jesus came to complete for us. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die, and when he walked out of that tomb, family, he walked out victorious, conquering all of our sins, demonstrating that he has made a way for us to be, we were sinful people, but now we are made righteous and holy in the eyes of God. He then ascended where he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ is the king of all kings, and what do kings do? They reign. Family, is he reigning in your life? 
Listen, let's be honest. That, that rule and reign is going to look imperfect. And it's not because Jesus is imperfect. It's just because we are constantly at war. We are constantly tugging at that, 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 uh, that seat of our hearts regularly. We're trying to take that seat back from Jesus. And he's like, yo, let me sit here comfortably. Let me do my work. Let me exercise authority in your life. Let me rule and reign. Let's be real, family. We love the concept of Jesus as Lord and Savior, Savior and Lord. You get what I'm saying? This is what I mean by that. We love the concept of Jesus as Savior because we realize that we can't save ourselves. I think every single one of us all in here can agree, yo, I'm messy, very messy. I need something outside of myself to save me. But when it comes to the concept of as Lord, Jesus is Lord, many of us buck at that. And the reason why is because we know that we can't save ourselves, but we've been ruling and reigning for a little while now. We, we think that life is pretty good without someone telling us what to do. We've been white-knuckling a lot of things in our lives. And Jesus is like, no, 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 give that over to me. Let me rule. Let me sit on the throne of your hearts. So, family, if you're here this morning, you know Jesus is king. You are living for him as king. My encouragement to you is simply this. Keep going. Keep resting in him. Keep repenting. Keep surrendering. Keep giving. Keep submitting. Keep serving. Keep stewarding. Keep doing all those things, not in your power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let him have his way. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ is king, but you've been in a season where you've been distracted, you've been in a season where it's just been you living for yourself, it's been about achieving, it's been about accomplishing, it's been about attaining, it's been about becoming. Do you know the grace of God this morning? That grace is for you even in those moments. Family, if that's you, rest in that grace. My encouragement for you is to repent where you haven't believed that grace for yourself. Confess to the Lord, invite his rule and reign back into the aspects of your life where you've been white knuckling. Then if you're here this morning and Jesus Christ is basically been a ticket to getting to heaven for you. You just need him basically like, yo, you know, one day I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. This is my way to make sure that when I die, I get to heaven. Yeah, I'll take that. That's how you've acknowledged Jesus, but you've constantly still been living your life as if you're still in control, where you're not submitting anything to him. Here's my encouragement to you. See Jesus before you see Jesus. That's what I mean by that. See Jesus as king now before you see him as judge later. This is a moment of grace for you to turn back to him because he wants you. He wants to give you new life. That's what he does. You know, those shoes, when I was 14, listen, I was still growing. As busted up as they were, they weren't going to fit me anymore, right? I think at the time they were like eight and a half. I'm sitting at 10 and a half, 11 now. I couldn't have fit into those things. They were going to run out eventually. But guess what? Some 20 years later, I've got two pair of Harachis now. One I bought by myself, you know. Another one was a gift from a, from a good friend. And I love them because they remind me of when I was 14. The best shoe ever. You know, when we come to a realization that, you know, the stuff that we have, yo, it's busted and broken. Eventually, I need to realize I need to outgrow this mess in my life. When we come to that realization, Jesus is sitting there waiting, yo, I've got a brand new gift for you. <laughs> it fits nice. 
You're going to love it. It's going to be the favorite thing that you own. Would you give me this opportunity to give you this gift? He takes the tattered, he takes the broken, he takes the mess, and he gives us something beautiful in exchange. Family, will you resting in that? Because once we receive it, I know now to never just let anyone just take advantage of my shoes no more. <laughs> I've learned to steward the things that the Lord has given me. Because that beautiful gift is so amazing, we have a chance to really use it for his glory. That when someone asks me about the shoes, I'm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you where I got it from. Maybe I can get you a pair. I don't know if I get you the Rachis, but stick with the illustration. Let me point you to something beautiful, family. God is gracious and kind, and he's patient, and his patience does what? It leads to our repentance. Where do you need to repent where you haven't been a good steward recently? Just know he's calling you back home. He's giving you an opportunity to see him for being who he is. Gracious king, ready and rule, ready to reign and rule in your life. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. I pray, God, that you would move in such a way where we realize that we have an opportunity to steward your, your, your gifts, your time, talent, your treasure. These are the things that you have given to us, and we have an opportunity to use those things to put you on display. Father, forgive us in the areas where we've been white-knuckling, through the power of your Holy Spirit, allow us to be open-handed to those things, to give them back to you, to see those things increase tenfold, to see your kingdom be, be noticed and recognized here on earth. Father, we're so excited to see what you're going to do. I'm thankful that you get an opportunity, that we have an opportunity to be used by you to see those things get done. Be with us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.